Also, I have the wrong episode number here. It's not episode three three nine. No, it's four hundred. You 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 know I D I D in the D in the town all day. I D I D in the D in the S E A. You know I D I D in the D in the town all day. I D I D in the D in the S E A. Hello and welcome to episode number four hundred wow. of the fabulous Pelton Cast. I am your co-host Kevin Pelton, and I'm Tristan Carcino. We did it. We're coming to you. We did it, Joe. We're coming to you in separate locations. <laughs> I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion Storm. And I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington, future home of Chip Kelly and your Super Bowl 48 <laughs> champion Seattle Seahawks. That's right. It's the Rain Man edition of the Pelton cast, though. Somehow we actually made it to 400. It's it's also I it occurred to me as I was looking at this, it has to be the Sam Hagerty edition because normally we do like the last two digits is the the uniform number but it's it's got to be for we're zeros re- resetting to zero there yeah we we're go. resetting to zero it's the sam Hagerty edition wow. the Boy benjamin edition you know the people said we'd never make it past 378 but here we are still standing 400 episodes <laughs> later they said that i thought it was a notable milestone when we got to 365 one for every day of the year 400 doesn't mean as much to me as that you know what was incredible was this is our 400th official episode and we actually did 400 emergency pods last week (laughs) it only felt like 400 emergency pods, but believe it or not we have gone a full week between recording podcasts uh no seattle sports teams have hired fired or seen their head coach leave you have gone another... this many days without an emergency <laughs> podcast. Oh, How many days? Have... It's like that is a good. The podcast has gone like eight days or something. It's a, maybe even a little bit more. I mean, I think it's nine. It was Sunday to Tuesday. Okay, so. there we go. The podcast has gone nine days without an emergency podcast. We Hurry up, had... Seahawks! We have not had to reset the counter. It does not seem like the Seahawks are going to hire a coach anytime soon. Some teams wow. are choosing coaches, but the NFL has intentionally slowed down this process so as to not disadvantage the coaches whose teams advance deep in the playoffs. And uh, it seems to be working as they intended thus far. Shouts to Ben Johnson. We'll talk about it later. Oh, oh, that was a, I, you're much That's more not down a, not about, about the process. Ben Johnson. I, I, I know what it's about. Yes. It's, you're much more down on things than I am. <sighs> All right, well, let's start I'm with... Just, I, I'm really not happy as a Seattle sports fan right now. I'm just straight up not enjoying this. <laughs> I, you're, uh, the, I think you should leave sketch. I'm not having fun here. <laughs> I'm really not. I'm straight up not having fun. I'm straight up not having fun. Like, this is... I, I feel like... I, did you declare that somehow recently, like for the Huskies, that it was the greatest week in Seattle sports history? Because... Things, I did not. Do you know how much fun I was having like not that long ago? I mean, I came across, I, I had to go back to the Husky game nuts to double check their starting offensive line as it was low those two weeks and one day ago when they played in the national championship game. It was 15 days ago. They played in the college football playoff championship with Kevin DeBoer as their head coach. This is a true fact. You can look it up. I, I don't buy it. How many emergency podcasts have we done since then? Way, way too many. I think if I could pinpoint my happiest moment recently, recently, just over, not like an an individual moment. This isn't like beating Oregon or whatever. Just like overall contentness as a Seattle sports fan. I think you have to go back to uh, New Year's Eve morning. So like 10 a.m., 
New Year's Eve morning, way back in 2023. And that moment, the Seahawks still had a pretty good chance of making the playoffs. The Huskies were on the precipice of playing against Texas in the college football playoff. I think that was the last moment that I was generally overall content as a Seattle sports fan. And then the Seahawks lost that game. Huskies won. We were happy. And then they canceled the college football playoff. We're, we're into that moment. Like, in fact, they didn't just cancel the game. They canceled the whole week. <laughs> they canceled the, sp- the sport of college football. Yeah. I, I was undoubtedly happier after the Huskies won the semifinal to get you know, to the college football playoff championship. But the, what I'm saying is contentness overall. Just, just being content. Like there were obviously moments, you know, like you could go back to the moment of beating Texas or even the relief of that final play against Texas. But now just everything is tarnished. You know what I mean? Like I look back, I see the like Roma Dunze poster in Lucas room and I'm just like, I think everything that I think about, and I'm like, maybe we should have lost against Arizona State. This is what I was talking about, about when when you could just do these things in your head where you're like, something good happened, and you're like, but maybe something bad should have happened. When I did my bold prediction about how we would look back after losing to Michigan, so content, so content in that moment, by the way. We would look back at when I predicted that we would boldly beat Michigan and by the way, my bold prediction about Will Rogers looking a lot better than yours <laughs> about Austin Mack. And uh, about, in actuality, this is the better win. We'll see, we may still say that because it's like, well, now Jed Fish is the coach. But you just never know how you're going to get to a place. Can we talk about but, an important Jed Fish thing before we get into this? Absolutely, we can. I, was... need, I need Jed Fish. I need this to work. I think we all need this to work. I agree. It's, it's like you just came off a breakup that was pretty bad. And you're like, if this one doesn't work, I just don't know, guys. <laughs> Things weird. are about to start getting real weird if this one doesn't work. <laughs> there, are some, a, there are some fish tanks at the Bass Pro Shop that are looking pretty interesting. He was at the Staples Center. Yeah, I'm sorry. He was at, uh, well, I was doing a call at the Staples Crypto. Center. Crypto.com Arena. Crypto.com Arena tonight to take in Lakers Clippers. There we and go. He was featured on the TNT broadcast for an exceedingly long time. Like they had an extended conversation <laughs> about uh, Jim, Jed Fish. Jim Jackson pointed out that uh, Scotty Graham is the uh, new running back, running back coach. Okay, they were down to talking about running back coaches. Well, apparently, he and Jim Jackson were roommates at Ohio State. Really? They, uh, Scotty Graham's senior year there was the nineteen ninety one season. That was. Uh, Jim Jackson's final year, 1991-92, was his final year at Ohio State. So they overlapped there. So he's now got a got a UW connection, Jim Jackson. There we go. Yeah. That's kind of incredible that they talked about Jed Fish. The Lakers and the Clippers were playing in Los Angeles. And, and they I had an extended conversation about Jed Fish. I can't remember which other celebrities they showed before him in the montage, but Jed Fish was the hammer of the celebrity <laughs> man montage and got like the camera on him for like a solid minute. Bro, that's, that's my coach this. right there. What's Kalen DeBoer doing right now? It's huge for recruiting. Kalen DeBoer is busy choosing Austin Mack over the best quarterback in the country. It's like not not too good for Ohio State, but too good for Galen DeBoer. We'll see. It's gonna be ugly. It's gonna be ugly. All right. Well, now let's get into it. Starting you never, with you never know how you're gonna feel in a moment until it happens. It's the Pelton Cast Golden Rule for a reason, folks. <sighs> also, Starting that's why you don't build statues. Do not build statues of Galen DeBoer. <laughs> 
you're you're coming around to my side oh, on oh, so many I, things. Not I Will really Rogers am. anymore. Now that that news is broken. Oh yeah, Will Rogers, quarterback savior. We have to look at his QBR from two years ago. Two years ago, only 2021 QBR is valid. <laughs> All right, maybe this time I can go through this line. It's starting with our search for Seattle's best IPA, which has taken us this week to Burien. Oh. And Burien's own brewery, Logan Brewing Company, which I've driven past like dozens of times, not that far from Treat Cookies and Stevie's Famous on the heart of, in the heart of Burien on 152nd. The heart but, of Burien, deep from the heart of Burien. But have never tried any of their products. And I have here the Arcane Eye West Coast IPA with Citra and Mosaic Hops. Uh, cast your Arcane Eye and explore flavors of berries, tropical fruit, and citrus in this West Coast IPA. Gaze into the realm of Citra and Mosaic and find out why these two titans of hop flavor come together in an exceptional IPA. It's delicious beer. You can see it in our eyes. Okay. So I don't know. This may also be uh, interesting. I've never heard of this brewery. Yeah, it's right by the library there. Don't so. don't gaze into the realm of the Citra hops for too long. You might go blind. One of the challenges I found, so I was at the Beer Junction earlier today and yeah. was sitting there Googling various IPAs in their, in their case for like a <laughs> solid 15 minutes. Because one of the things I've discovered with a lot of these new breweries, like in, I don't know what we came up in, like, is it like beer 3.0 maybe? Maybe sure. beer... At least yeah, American no. beer 3.0. Well, I think you have to divide it as craft beer. I don't know if you can just say beer in general. Okay. It's like craft beer 2.0. Craft beer 1.0 was like Pyramid, Red yeah. Hook, which we still have not gotten to. Henry Weinhardt's. I think there was a Pyramid sign. Uh, I, I just recently <laughs> started watching Northern Exposure. I was going to say, I really thought you were going to say Pyramid Scheme. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pyramid Brewing side, and I was feeling nostalgic. You're watching Northern Exposure? Yeah. You finally caught up to me from 15 years ago? I have. Did you know that wow. they shot it in Roslyn, Washington? Are you joking? I'm, I'm okay. joking. I was aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> I had to double check exactly. I knew it was close to Cleallum. I had no, to double it wasn't. Check exactly. you, you, you were trying to figure out whether it was Ronald, because it's in Roslyn, not Ronald. You don't no, even know I'm... what Ronald is? I don't the know. The city about. right next to Roslyn. It's Roslyn. Good God. It you looked know, like you know nothing about the geography of central Washington. Um, apparently the only thing I do know. <laughs> weirdly. Uh you know what the thing is? They're all north of Toronto. <laughs> it appeared that there's like a festival in the pilot episode, and it appeared that was maybe Lake Cleellum, but I've not actually been there. I just know from your stories about Lake Cleellum. I, I do not remember from watching Northern Exposure like literally 15 years ago. <laughs> But I had all of the D DVDs way back in the day, and they came in a, a um, wrapped in a sleeping bag. Oh, nice! Oh yeah, Northern oh, Exposure, underrated classic. Kind of lost to the sands of time. Clearly not for you though. It was funny. There was there was a kid I was giving a ride to, uh, one of the children's friends, and he was like, "Oh yeah, we had to go do this thing down in Raymond," and I was like. First off, I can't, I've never heard of a person being in Raymond. And to me, I was just like, the only reason I know that is because the sign is Raymond and PL. Raymond and PL? Yeah, on I-5. Those are the signs that are together. Oh, Am I wrong about oh, this? I, I don't remember I that. read it every time, Raymond PL. And it's such a bonker sign to read. Is it PL? I, I think that's what I've always thought it was. What was the city in Mar Marbella? Marbella. Marbella, Marbella, Spain. Yeah, yeah. After we talked about overpronouncing things, and then we pronounce Marbella. it Marbella. Truly, 
truly impressive. I don't know. I'm not seeing a Raymond close to PL here. Wait, really? Am I wrong about this? Oh, I guess they are the same exit off of I-5. Yeah, they're, okay, they're not that say, close to I'm each other. I'm pretty confident. I know about Rosin and Ronald, and I know about Raymond and PL. Thank you. This is on, on Route 6. Uh, the Brick yeah, Tavern. Like PL. Yeah. The Brick Tavern. Have you been? to? This is what you have to do now. You watch the show. You do a pilgrimage to the, I can't remember what it's called, uh, but I've been to the Brick before. What about the Rosin Cafe? That's that's the pilgrimage, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm I'm ready. Uh, I have even discussed it. Next next time I'm headed to Eastern Washington, I'm going to Roslyn for sure. Oh, anyways, Roslyn's great. Roslyn, honestly, very fun place to drive through. The point that's, I was trying to make, it's very, yeah. That's it. With, with the Roslyn Cafe is where, I, the brick is the bar, right? That's what it's called. Am I right about this? I I, I didn't catch that. I But the Roslyn Cafe is the one with the mural outside of it. That is very evident. And they had to come oh, up with a backstory. You know I, think, I think it's called the brick is the real name. That's why I'm confusing this. The name of it is the brick in real life. And it, it's the Roslyn Cafe in the show. There you go. We got there. No, though, they're different locations. There's a Roslyn Cafe and the Brick Saloon. They are different locations. So, oh, once I drive through Roslyn, I'll, I'll have, have more details. It on is this. the oldest bar in Washington State. Really? Okay, that's yeah. fascinating. Wow, okay. Shouts to Roslyn. Shouts to the Roslyn listener if they exist. <laughs> Anyways, the point or at least was, the person who's driven through it. I was the point I was trying to make is we're used to the idea of breweries having like their core year-round beers and then seasonal beers on top of it. Mm-hmm. And you know, whatever stage of the craft brewing it was, 2.0, 3.0, they kind of operated that that way. And yeah. now I feel like they've dispensed of that entirely. And you cannot tell from their website. Like they just have tap lists of what they have on tap. So it's impossible to tell whether it's a seasonal or a like year round beer, which is is really messing with this search. Yeah. Also breweries in general, they're just flying a little too close to the sun. I read a, a Reddit thread about what is the thing that millennials are going to kill or zoomers, whatever the, the generation that's coming after us is going to kill. And craft breweries is the one that I saw like near the top. I was like, well, there's an there's an era and the era is fading like we're gonna us nostalgic gen xers are gonna or gen xers millennials we're, are gonna keep it alive we're the millennials. For a zoomers are gonna kill the thing that, from the millennials correct yeah so this beer is good so far we'll see how it rates all right uh as we continue our search for seattle's best ipa uh our this week's toast start with congratulations to the player you just mentioned making you sad roma dunze who was named the Division I FBS Academic All-American of the Year by College Sports Communicators for his prowess not only on the field, but in the classroom. Shouts to Roma Dunsay. Wow, there we go. Are we going to talk about the Mel Kuyper mock draft later? No, yes. I We can, we can discuss it now. Let's talk about it the, now. That's it? Let's talk about the Seahawks section. Okay. I mean, being that concerned about individual Seahawks draft picks. No, no, I... About- I I don't really care about that. It was mostly just seeing Roma Dunze. Like there is steam for Rome being like a top five or top six pick. Oh yeah. I think he, that would be the highest pick since Entman. Am I wrong? Um, Reggie Williams was certainly top no. 10. John Ross was eight and Jake Locker was eight. Those are the two highest ones that I can remember. 
But I think there's a good chance that Rome goes higher than either of those. I'm pretty sure that and Shaq, Shaq, yeah, Shaq Thompson was in the teens and Reggie Williams was like 10. So I think there's a chance that Roma Dunze is the highest drafted Husky since 1991. All right, so the Huskies have only had two players ever drafted in the top six of the NFL draft. Uh, guard Rudy Mucha in 1941. <laughs> it's Rudy Mucha. Who ended up playing three years in the NFL, though the, the uh, league, his career was presumably two-time NFL champ, so he's got that going. There for we him. go. You know, nobody talks about how players drafted the top six from Washington haven't had the best NFL careers. <laughs> and then Emin. It's right? in, yeah, Emin going number one. So yeah, he he has a very good chance to be the highest drafted player since since Emin. There we go. That's pretty That's cool. Pretty, yeah, I agree. Especially the, I, I think at this phase of mock drafts, skill players tend to be higher and maybe over time they fall a little bit, but like seeing that many receivers that high, but I think there's a good chance that he's going to be the number two receiver taken. I don't know if I agree with that. Quarterbacks generally rise. I don't know about wide receivers. I mean, I looked at that mock and it was a lot of skill players in the top 10. Mm -hmm. It's like three quarterbacks, three receivers, I think is the top six. I don't well, think there's a non- or maybe people had watched the playoffs and realized that you need skill players. Maybe they were aware of trends in football. I I don't think we're moving toward an era where just skill players are going to be drafted super high. But then Brock Bowers is also like number seven. All right, next toast. Congratulations to Tacoma Native and UW Commit. Zoom Diallo, who was chosen for the McDonald's All-American game. Uh, I think he would be the first McDonald's All-American for UW since Isaiah Stewart and <sighs> Jalen McDaniels. So, Jaden McDaniels. So. Speaking of things which are going to make me sad in the future, what college do you think Zoom Diallo's actually going to play for? <laughs> uh, Ironically, we'll might it be Arizona? We'll see... You know, he mentioned Hoff and his commitment. He also talked a lot about Will Conroy. So, yeah, but is the job going to Will Conroy? I don't know, but we'll it ain't going to be Mike Hopkins. It's looking less likely with each succeeding game. But we'll talk about that a little later in the pod. Uh, congratulations to former Husky running back Deontay Cooper, who was named running back coach at Idaho. There we go. This is a beery and heavy episode. Coached at Highline High School. That's right? true. I forgot that he was at Highline. Nice. There we go. How many years did of college football did Deontay Cooper end up playing? Oh, his eligibility seems like nothing compared to modern times, right? I mean, true. I, it, it was more notable back then. He actually, People are going on their, like, literally ninth year of eligibility now. Uh, you'll recall he finished up with one year at San Jose State after the three that he played at UW. Deontay Cooper was, I believe, recruited by Sark. He might have played his... He was definitely recruited. Yeah, he was definitely recruited by Sark. And also, uh, he enrolled at UW at the start of the winter 2010 quarter and then had his first injury in fall camp in 2010, sat out all of 2011, all of 2012 before finally getting on the field in 2013. So, quite well, a... Yeah, awesome to see Deontay Cooper get this job. And hopefully it's just the first of many. I would think so. All right, next up. Hopefully one day he could be mentioned on an NBA game. <laughs> <laughs> I 
He's going to have to have known Jamal Crawford, I think. I don't know that any Huskies are going to be color analysts on, on national games. Uh, congrats to former Mariners third baseman Adrian Beltre, who was one of three players voted to the Baseball Hall of Fame as part of the 2024 class. No surprise there. Beltre did not have the greatest Mariners career. Will not, he will not be going into the Baseball Hall of Fame wearing a Mariners hat, sadly, but... Uh, Someone who the front office actually was really wise to spend a lot of money for, just not a great fit for what was then Safeco Field, now T-Mobile Park. But uh, in, during his career in Texas, everyone realized just how awesome he was. All right, lastly this week, a reminder that we are coming up on the conclusion of Randy's quest to visit all 79 Taco Time Northwest locations. That will conclude with a live taping of Talking Taco Time this Saturday at the Rainier location at 12 noon. Wow. Randy's freaking doing it. 2024, the final location for Randy. Uh, are people invited to this momentous occasion? They are. Hopefully not too many people because, you know, uh, you can only fit so many people into a Taco Time Northwest. But if the listener wants to come have lunch and uh, hear us to some degree Randy, record this podcast. Meet Randy, with Randy. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Meet Randy live. <laughs> Presumably Randy will be bringing the taco time trophy that he got as part of the super fans commercial. I, I would prefer to talk to Randy over any of the rest of us. So <laughs> you've often made that clear that you'd rather talk to Randy than me. Oh yeah. That's my spinoff podcast is me and Randy talking about donuts. <laughs> it would be uh, huge. Wow. It's been almost exactly a year since the top five. Donut, donut uh, expose where we <laughs> learned that the ones at QFC are smaller than the real top five donuts. Was that a year ago? No way. I think it was in February. But we're coming up on the year. All right. We have the return this week of Coach's Corner. Wow. We're already into it. Okay. Um, just uh, So I, I didn't do Coach's Corner. Season has started. I mentioned this team that I'm coaching which is first grade city of Renton basketball, kind of a wild team. I knew this going in. So I didn't do coach's corner in week one because my child, Mateo almost hit somebody and I had to run on the court and pull him off. And then after the game, the coach for the other team was like, you need to get these kids under control, <laughs> which the, I, the concept <clears throat> that this is almost like a, an additional week of coach's corner, the concept that me or any person could get this group of first graders under control is laughable. But we're back at it week two. Week one, a pretty nice W uh, for the kids. In, of course, the games that they do not keep scoring. Week two, we come out. We're feeling confident. We had a good practice. I did a lot of half-court offense. There's no positions, of course. But we did a lot of half-court offense in practice. And I was like, you know what? I'm feeling pretty good about my dogs. I feel like I feel like we might have we might run the table this season, just like looking at the other teams, scouting them. That, that was the confidence that I had going into this. So we get out there. I'm like... A, a, setting up the lineups and stuff like that. I think I've mentioned this before for kids graded up through like third grade or whatever. They each wear a wristband for who they're defending. So you pretty much need to, there's, it's a little bit loose. Sometimes if somebody's driving to the hoop, somebody else can defend them. But for the most part, you have somebody who you need everyone to else can swarm the ball. Like, look, they are first graders. The amount that you can actually control or a referee can control what's going on is extraordinarily small. And the amount that coaching actually matters is extraordinarily small. But oh, the that's places... an indication you lost the game. <laughs> yeah. 
the places that you can influence the game is who you match up the wristbands with. And I'm like fucking pop with the wristbands. Like I will look and I will see which of the kids on the other team is like, I'm like, okay, this kid, like I'll watch them in warm a little bit and be like, that kid is clearly pretty good. I'm going to put one of our like stringent defenders on them. And we've got a few of those defenders. We've got some lockdown defenders. They might injure you. They might tackle you, but they will lock you down one way or another. The rules about stealing the ball and not being able to steal the ball, not going to follow those. So anyway, I have it all set up. I'm feeling good going in. The one situation that I cannot control as coach, because of course I can control everything else among first graders on the court is somebody gets injured that throws everything off with my defensive assignments. So I, the game has started literally the like first 30 seconds into the game, a kid on the other team gets injured. They put in their best player. I don't, I don't know that he's their best player before this, but they put in their best player. And I have one of the worst defenders on our team defending him. This kid goes off with no defense, basically at all for like 12 points in the first quarter. I am livid on the sideline i'm over there being like because the thing that i hate the most is just one one person just fucking running it against us where i'm like there's nothing i can do about it and i look like the asshole you know what i mean like the reality is people expect me to be able to do something about it as a coach but i'm not going to call a timeout if the kid is injured and somebody else comes in i'm not going to call a timeout and be like hey, like, can we switch these defensive assignments? That would probably be true psychopath behavior as a first grade basketball coach. So this kid runs it in the first quarter. Like he goes off. Second quarter comes around. I get a pretty good sense of who's out there. Third quarter, and we're down by like probably 15, 16 points. I have no idea. I guess there's no free throws or three. So we're down by an even number of points, but we're down by like probably like 10, 12 points. Second half rolls around. I've got this team scouted just like dead on. And I'm like talking to them beforehand. I'm like, okay, this kid is going to do this. This kid is going to do this. You're here. You're here. You're here. Third quarter. So I, I had their kid who played really well in the first quarter. I have one of our hardest defenders. He gets injured in the very first play of the third quarter. Fortunately, I was able to replace it. And I will say, this is what I'm impressed with, with, with my dogs out there. We won the second half. After we were able to get a sense of who the team was, we weren't screwed because of the injury. We won the second half and played very, very well. We fought, we came back. So I, I was pleased with the performance overall. Uh, I need to talk to them a little bit about using the backboard, which uh, I talked to Mateo about after. And he was like, you want me to do what now? I'm supposed to shoot it where? Not into the hoop. And I'm like, no, I, I know it's complicated. <laughs> Look, I understand the logic of shooting the ball at a different place that is not straight into the hoop is hard to understand. But they put the backboard there for a reason. You should use it. So... You got to uh, show him the video of, I believe it's in Korea, where players now specialize in banking in free throws. Really? Yeah. I, th I thought about that. I mean, the kids are not tall enough to be able to shoot off the backboard from the front of the hoop. Yes. To be able to get the ball up that high. But I was like, there is a place we want to get to. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, it's simple geometry, kids. <laughs> There's a place that you want to get to and you want to use this part of the backboard. That's what you need to focus on. But for well, me, you got to gotta use this. Talk about the square. Because the square is where you're supposed to aim. Yeah, I've talked about it. Oh, okay. The, the amount of uh, uh, Mrs. Fantasy Genius was like, you should you should talk to them about this about like using the backboard. And I was like, I have tried. The attention of first graders is as short as anything can be. Uh so I I was really proud that we fought back. There's a, and there's I, a I got a Scott a, joke in there. 
I got a little bit screwed, to be honest, in this mm. game by by the defensive injuries. So we went to one and one after two weeks uh, in the games that are not being, the score is not being kept, but everybody is keeping score. <laughs> of course they are. So this this next week, I'm like, okay, I need to make sure that I have these defensive assignments on lock. There's nothing I can do with injury, but that was the thing that drove me fucking crazy. It's just sitting there watching this kid. Of course, I'm happy. I'm like happy anybody, anytime any child makes a shot. But it's just like, we can't have it be that easy. We got to make somebody else score. Yes. All right. Well, we'll stay tuned for further coaching coaches' corner updates throughout. But most season. importantly, I did not have to go on the co- uh, under the court and stop anybody. I guess I should say there was there was one other kid in the second quarter. I didn't. I kind of yada yada over that one. Uh, but you know the tweet. It's Jordan Clarkson time. Jordan Clarkson. Yeah. That's like every player Shust, on the team. Chester Robbie Callen, friend of the pod. <laughs> But there was a kid who was just like, he he really was feeling himself in this quarter. Uh, he did not pass. It was like every single person on the sideline is screaming pass, including his entire family. Me, I just had to sit back and be like, what, you know what I like, I'm not affecting this in this moment. It's like, we'll have a conversation after that. Uh, it was like th- three people were defending him at certain points and he was firing up shots. So it was like, it was, Le- it's Levi time, Levi. Uh, I think that about <laughs> that tweet every single time any kid gets the ball and they're like, I ain't passing it. So <laughs> be ready for a rebound. Cause this ball's not being swung around. Uh, so I, I had a fun time with, with that. And then after that, his dad came over and he was like, I just want to let you know, Levi didn't pass the ball, but he did pull down 13 rebounds. And I was like, dude, we're good. I'm fine. <laughs> You don't need to justify like he's he is well, a so first grader. You're you're not gonna bench him. <laughs> exactly. You don't have the ability to do that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, he is a first grader. I am unconcerned. I thought it was fun how little he was passing. Uh, I'm also on the high end of. I don't think it's the a lot of coaches think that their kids should be passing the ball, and I'm trying to win these games that they don't keep scoring. And I'm like, we don't need to pass the ball. If you have a good shot, just shoot it. If you could dribble around enough or run around without dribbling enough that you get open, just do that because like 85% of the passes are going to get stolen. So that's why I'm a little bit against passing sometimes. All right. You heard it here first. Passing is <laughs> Look, bad, actually. I'm just, if, if half of the passes were stolen, that's generous. If half of the passes that were thrown... I know, I, it's a fair point. ...that were thrown in the NBA were stolen, you'd probably advise NBA players not to pass to you. All of a sudden, it would be Jordan Clarkson time. Well, no... It probably would be. I, I was going to say Michael Jordan time, but uh, that's probably the way to go. All right, let's get into the roundup. Starting with the Mariners, who agreed to a one-year deal with UW alum and Kentwood product, Austin Voth. There we go. Did we talk about this last week? Am I tripping? No, no, we oh, did not. Yeah. It happened after the pod. Uh, it was not a player I was previously aware of. Were you aware of Austin Voth? Absolutely not. A fifth-round pick in 2013 out of UW, both debuted with the Nationals in 2018, spent parts of five seasons there before being traded to Baltimore during the 2022 season, has both started and worked out of the bullpen, exclusively pitching as a reliever in 25 appearances last season, struggled at times with walks, including 3.9 per nine innings last season, also gave up six home runs in 34 and two-thirds innings, which is not great. Uh, Mariners eyeing him is a multi-inning reliever. Trying to see where Austin both played children's baseball at. <laughs> if he was part of the same, same. No, no. I would know if he went to Rock Creek. I would yes. know who he was. You'd want to know which rival. <laughs> no, I'm just, no, I'm just curious. I mean, if he went to Kenwood, he had to have right. played somewhere around here. One would think. 
we are we are drawing ever closer to spring training. Pitchers and catchers will report on February 15th. The full roster for the Mariners February 20th in their first Cactus League game comes up February 24th. So almost exactly one month from now. The road weary and shorthanded Kraken have now lost four in a row after their 13-game point streak, including the opening game of their homestand Sunday against Toronto. They'll also host Chicago, St. Louis, and Columbus before the next road game next Tuesday this at shit out. San Jose. This is a, a... We've got an update on, on Austin Voth. Are you ready for it? What's that? Might be Italian. Wait, what? Yep. Based on what? Born in Redmond, Washington, son of Heidi and Ken Voth, has a younger brother, Colin, a cousin of former Oregon State pitcher who we have talked about on this podcast, Sam Gavilio. Ah, well, that's interesting. And former Los Angeles Dodger, current Los Angeles Dodger, Sam Gavilio. We, he's like tangentially related to us, right? Something like that, yes. Wow, Austin Voth just shot up the charts. I don't know. There's no there's no evidence out there that he is Italian. Maybe is Sam Cavilio like half Italian or like it, it it could be a cousin on the other side. But still. still yeah, I agree. And any relation to Sam Cavilio, we're happy about on this podcast. I any agree way with that. that you you could squint and find out that somebody's Italian. Look, you think Jerry DePoto doesn't know that? The man <laughs> has a way of finding Italians. If this would have been like 1940s baseball, this would have been a great strategy. (laughs) All the DiMaggio's. 2024, I'm not sure if it's the best strategy. (laughs) Do you think we could someday get Jerry DePoto on the pod to To talk about Italian baseball players? I like the idea. There are some moments. If things are going well for the Mariners, yes. (laughs) We could get him on or we would want him on. We would want him on. We don't need Jerry DePoto to come on here and answer for his sins. We need Jerry DePoto to come on here and talk about Italian baseball players and be happy Look, about it. This Jerry, is the Sam Haggerty edition. Because Jerry DePoto is Italian, I blame everything on ownership <laughs> and none of it on Jerry DePoto. There we go. <laughs> He's just out there taking the... Uh... Our grandparents would agree. <laughs> they would also question Austin Vos Italianness because his last name does not end in a vowel. Gavilio's brother Gus also started in passion. I want to find out that... Sam Gavilio's parents. All right, cracking, getting some good <laughs> injury news. Uh, Philip Grubauer is back from IR, was uh, activated on Tuesday. They sent Chris Drieger back to Coachella Valley. Vince Dunn also due back after practicing on Tuesday, as did Matty Beneers, but Beneers' return is a bit farther away. He remains on IR. All right, Sounders FC headed to Marbella later this week, uh, maybe tomorrow. Uh, Sounder at heart reported that new designated player Pedro de la Vega will travel with the team after his transfer from Leduce was completed. The $7.5 million fee will apparently be the largest ever paid by the Sounders, with MLS reportedly handling the larger transfer fee when the Sounders added Clint Dempsey. All right, a newcomer for Seattle Reign FC, which uh, has seen some subtractions to the roster this offseason. Korean reports indicate the Reign are signing former Chelsea midfielder Ji Soyun, the all-time leader in scoring for the South Korean national team with 69 career goals. Okay. Ji was the FA Women's Players Player of the Year in 2014, her first year with Chelsea, and made the PFA Women's Super League Team of the Year each season from 2014-15 through 2019-20. 
G will turn 33 next month and saw her playing time decline in 2021-22, her last season with Chelsea, before returning to Korea to play professionally at home for the first time with Suwon FC the last two years. I was paying so little attention just literally reading about Sam Gavilio that I thought I thought this is a player who signed with the Sounders. <laughs> no, no, this is this is with the Red. I, I got that. MLB yeah. for life, Italian American MLB blogger. <laughs> I mean nothing nothing reunites Sam Gavilio and Joe Biagini in the twenty twenty three World Baseball Classic. You could take the Itali- entire Italian World Baseball Classic team and have them play for the Mariners, and they would be the worst team in the league. <laughs> Look, we want to keep Julio. We want to keep certain uh, players. No, so no, I'm, I'm just noting like that's why it's not the best strategy. Oh, but I, I, but I feel see. like if in the DiMaggio days you could have done that, like you could have had a solid squad. I agree. All right, WNBA free agency started Sunday, all quiet as yet for the storm. Players can't officially sign until February 1st, though we will probably hear some updates before then. The most relevant storm news to date, the Los Angeles Sparks placed their core designation on Jordan Canada last Saturday, the last day that they had to do so. Uh, My ESPN colleague Andrea Carter reported that Canada will seek a sign-in trade. We mentioned her return to Seattle as one possibility as the Storm look to uh, add a veteran point guard after not really, you know, having a, after Sammy Whitcomb started at the position last season. So stay tuned on that, although it would probably cost the Storm a draft pick now if they were to add Jordan Canada and bring her back. So what does that mean, the core designation player? Is it a first-round draft pick? It's not a specific thing. Uh, in this case, it, you're not allowed to negotiate with any other teams. It's actually it's more akin to the exclusive franchise tag in the NFL. But like realistically, you know, the price has varied a little bit uh, in terms how of how much teams have not a specific thing. How can that even be a rule? Just vibes like you're not allowed to talk to other teams as a free agent, but like WNBA players have enough leverage but particularly most of the players who are franchise players, like this is why it wasn't a necessarily a big deal that the storm didn't core Brianna Stewart last year that like the, the way they viewed it or didn't have the core available. Cause Jewel Lloyd was still taking it up. Like the way that it has been is like, if you want to play for another team, you just threaten to sit out the season because you don't make that much money in the WNBA. It's a very credible threat. It's not like when the Seahawks cored Frank Clark that he could be just like, Oh yeah, I'm going to go home and sit out the season. <laughs> So that's that's the big difference. But like realistically, the reason you you that the Sparks use the core designation here, the reporting is somewhat similar on the Mystics and Elena Deladon, is like so that they can get something in return and the player can go to where they want. So I I would I would estimate it probably will take one first round pick to get Jordan Canada. I don't know if you feel like that would be worth doing. <laughs> that's actually great that you asked me i'm kind of an expert on this sort of thing you had strong takes on the courtney my courtney vandersloot trade uh well it was a horrible trade but that's fine what about jordan can do you think i'm going to turn this back around on you because oh, you actually wow, that's yeah, great podcasting i'm gonna do you think that jordan Canada is worth the first round draft pick i'd and say what year would it be and so i mean you can trade up to two years in the future. So it obviously wouldn't be this year's number four pick that they would, they would be willing to offer in return. So it would be either 25 or 26. It kind of depends what you think the chances are 
as we talked about last week of Caitlin Clark and the other stars entering the draft this year. If they do, then the 2025 draft no longer looks so strong. 2026 doesn't look super great either. Uh, that's a, So that's a little safer because you don't potentially trade the Caitlin Clark pick and because the Storm are coming into 2025 with this, uh, you know, kind of lower record from this year in the two-year WNBA lottery. So I think they expect that they're probably going to make the playoffs next year, but if they don't, you would like to take advantage of that. So 26 I'm, is probably the better pick to trade. I'm I'm having a hard time seeing how the Storm are going to become a championship competitor again. And maybe everybody in the league is, is in that position. I think it is realistic. It is plausible, at least, that they could sign a star-level player in free agency this summer. And if this you summer. sign this this summer, this this winter, this, this <laughs> month, if they were to sign... The Royal Summer. <laughs> the, the Australian Summer. I think Jordan Canada might be playing in Australia. They, that was the photo on our ESPN story about this. Where many Storm players are playing, Jade Melbourne, Mercedes Russell, Sammy Whitcomb, all playing in Australia. If you added, if say you traded for Jordan Canada and signed another star player, I think then they could be a top five team in the league next year. And I don't think that's an unrealistic scenario. Who is that player? Are are you teasing this based upon knowledge or? So there's a group of players that like when I was looking at you know, the mock-off season, I was like, we got a chance. Now, John Quill Jones, it was reported today that she's planning to stay with the resign with the Liberty. She was probably at the top of that list as a former MVP. Uh, Neko Gwumike, Jordan Canada's teammate, is also on that list as someone who's Tra- only played in LA. Alabama. <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. Uh, has only played in LA, but you know, the Sparks have been non-competitive for several years. Uh, we don't know whether her sister Shanae is going to continue playing for the Sparks in future years. And the Sparks have like kind of one of the worst setups in the league in terms of facilities. The Storm really? have their brand new practice facility coming online. That's going to make them attractive to free why, agents. Why do the Sparks have bad facilities? Uh, their ownership, which is shared with the Dodgers, has not invested very much in the Sparks. <laughs> they just have to display some Mexican immigrants. <laughs> they're, they're spending all the money on Shohei Otane in like years down the road. They've, they've been looking around for people to displace for new facilities. <laughs> Can't find them. Do you not know this about Dodger Stadium? I, I it's am like aware of that. It's okay. not, I guess, you make I, it seem like I'm like... <laughs> it's not the current Dodgers ownership's fault. This I, in the still. 50s. Still. That's not... There's plenty of open space in Los Angeles. Like, California. We have to be mindful of Dodgers ownership on the Pelton cast. <laughs> what if they're listening? Uh, Elena Deladon it has been reported uh, will potentially seek a move away from the Mystics. She was another core player. Uh, I don't, you know, it doesn't seem very likely Seattle. It's uh, pretty far from her home base on the East coast, but like that's not inconceivable. So like, this is the group of players. I, I might be forgetting someone off the top of my head here. So are you talking saying about? basically they should, if they're able to sign one of these players, then you make the trade for Jordan Canada. Exactly. It's a domino thing. You you do that, then you make the trade for Jordan Canada, you make the pick, then the Storm are a competitive team again. And it may be a situation, you know, like the Kawhi Leonard and Paul signing the Paul George trade. Skylar Diggins-Smith, obviously, is another, like, big-time free agent who the Storm could add. Uh, in that case, she would be at the position that Jordan Canada plays. So that doesn't particularly make sense. But that, 
Paul George Kawhi Leonard trade will really work out in this trades will work out in like six years. <laughs> like as soon as they can get the just, third star. Just wait. <laughs> down the road. Requires a little bit of patience. Yeah, so I guess uh yeah, Candace Parker probably isn't quite at that level. Dewana Bonner, Brianna Jones in in Connecticut, the other top free agents who have some chance of changing teams. But that's the group. Like, if you can get one of those players, then it starts to become reasonable to trade a pick because you have a have an expectation you're going to be good enough that that pick is going to be at the end of the round. Do you think that's like a greater than fifty percent likelihood, or I I can't estimate that. I know that I struck out on all of these free agents in the room. That's mock offseason. But if they do strike out, then they should just tank for another season. I don't know that that necessarily means they should tank for another season, but they shouldn't be giving trading away draft picks in that scenario. De- develops, you give them away for nothing. Um, I mean, one of the nice things about trading for Courtney Vandersloot is like if they get Jordan Canada, like the core, she doesn't necessarily have to take the Supermax, but it, it guarantees her a deal with the Supermax. Courtney Vandersloot is making less than the regular Max because she took a discount to sign in New York. So I was kind of getting her at a bargain price in that mm-hmm. trade. So, she, but she's just not happy there. Or what is the issue? No, that was a hypothetical. Courtney Vanderson is not actually likely to go anywhere. Oh, okay. This, this was our mock off season. <laughs> I don't think she's an option. The second you start a mock off season, transactions have to happen. It's like one of those things where it's like if you're going to do the exercise, you might as well transact. Well, as I explained, the idea there was to improve New York's perimeter defense by replacing Vanderson with Natasha Cloud, who's a much better defender. Can I ask you one basketball-related question? Okay. Uh, I saw the very end of the Blazers game today. With I did Johnson. not see this. I've just read about it on Twitter. What What is your What is your take based upon what you've read on Twitter? Like, was it like about their protest or? Yeah. Does the protest seem? Re- I mean, has a protest ever been upheld? Before. Protests have occasionally been upheld. There was one in like 2009, I believe, involving the Hawks and the Heat, I want to say. Uh, it has to be a misapplication of a rule. The referee's not awarding Chauncey Billups a timeout he tried to call is decidedly not a misapplication of the rule. So I would say that no, there is no chance. It does not pass the any chance rule. This is like a Pete Carroll throwing the challenge flag type of protest. <laughs> yes. yes. It's for show. Okay. They're having Chauncey Billups' back here because they did change the narrative a little bit on it. Do you think Chauncey Billups did something wrong? He got two technicals with them leading <laughs> by one point in a fifteen in fifteen seconds left of the game. Yes, I would I would I would say he did something wrong. <laughs> That's like me in the first grade basketball game. <laughs> it's like I, I would say that was a costly tactic. She goes to Alexander and apparently missed one of the two free throws. They only tied the game, but not great. He ran on the court with seven seconds left in the quarter, but it was to stop his child from hitting somebody. That actually happened. There are no technical fouls awarded. Not in an NBA game. <laughs> All right, should we get to UW women's basketball? There are some, mo- some moments. If we would have been sitting close enough in that Blazers game, then I would have been nervous. <laughs> the team would have run on the court. They would have run on the court. It's happened at baseball games before. <laughs> it's happened <laughs> happened after a women's basketball game with Iowa the other day. Yeah, not Mateo. 
Many people ran on the court there. Did you see though also that there was an individual who erupted interrupted a men's college basketball game? Like during the they just ran out there? Uh this individual was in a wheelchair, so they wheeled out to center court. I I believe they were wearing an I Love MILFs t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> this is the fun kind of interrupting basketball games. <laughs> no players were harmed. Thankfully. I believe they were wearing an I Love MILFs t-shirt. I've never Googled anything faster. I don't know what the search term was because I love Wolf's college basketball. That uh, could be fun. Did you pull this up here? Oh, yeah. Okay. Texas, Texas State, Arkansas State. Yeah. yeah. It was not the most marquee game of the weekend. All right, UW women's basketball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Ongoing parallels between UW men's and women's basketball in conference play so far, and not great for either of them. Oh, no. Both teams last weekend, really solid outcome in the first game of the weekend, and then those vibes dissipated with the second game. UW women snapped a four-game losing streak at their first win of 2024 on Friday night at Heckhead when Lauren Schwartz's layup with two seconds left in a tie game produced the final, final margin after Arizona missed a potential winning three at the buzzer. Schwartz redeemed herself after one of 13 shooting before the final layup, while Ella Ledeen scored 22 points and Hannah Steins with 16 to power the UW offense. But the good vibes were short-lived as the Arizona State got its first win in Pac-12 play at the Husky expense on Sunday. Jalen Brown scored 34 points on 11 of 20, shooting for the desperate Sun Devils, who saw three starters play all 40 minutes in this game. Steins had 20 points for UW. Uh, the Huskies now two and four in conference play, and the road gets harder next weekend as they visit the LA schools, currently ranked second and eleventh. UCLA is number two, the highest ranking in school history, but that vote came before Monday's overtime loss at number twenty Utah. Bruins did manage to win at number three Colorado on Friday. They're led by Stanford transfer Lauren Betts, who's averaging fifteen point four points, eight point six rebounds after coming off the bench as a freshman for the Cardinal. Fifth-year guard Charisma Osborne is a first-round WNBA draft prospect, and sophomore Kiki Rice is a third outstanding player. They also have Jaime Jaquez Jr.'s sister Gabriella as a sophomore oh. growing into a larger role, averaging double figures this year. USC went 10-0 in non-conference play, including a neutral site win over number 7 Ohio State before losing their Pac-12 opener at UCLA. They won at the Galen Center in the rematch between these two teams, but then lost both games of the difficult mountain road trip. Freshman wing Juju Watkins... Uh, the clear front runner for freshman of the year, a legit contender for player of the year, uh, immediately one of the nation's best players, averaging 26.1 points and seven rebounds per game. So you want to make sure you have your draft pick in 2027 when Juju Watkins could be in the draft. Great. Done. You have men's basketball. Wait, I, okay, I finished this, but I, I have a revision. Okay. I'm just really not having fun. I just want it to be clear. I am really not having fun here. But I just realized when you were talking about uh, UW men's and women's basketball, which <sighs> so I think the moment that I have to go back to is uh, now Friday, December 29th when okay. UW was leading Colorado, right? Oh, yeah. On the road. I think like halftime of that game Something like that. 
think they and, took the lead in the second half, if I recall correctly. Or yeah, so the Arizona, uh, fate, the fateful Arizona, uh, Oklahoma bowl game. Arizona's winning. They just they just kind of pulled away at the game. I flip over. I'm watching UW basketball. They're up by like eight or something. I'm watching it on like an illegal stream because that game wasn't televised or is televised in something weird. And on the Pac-12 networks, I think. I don't think it was. I don't know. I don't know why I would have. But that moment that I clicked over, I'm like, wow, that was fun watching Arizona win. Uh, I'll never have to think about these players transferring to the University of Washington because we're set. (laughs) And and then I was like, UW's going to beat Colorado. This is a monster win. This team's going to the NCAA tournament. So that was the moment. That's what I wanted to revise the moment to. That was the last time that I felt generally content with Seattle sports. So halftime, I'm going to call it halftime because that's simpler. If we want to be exact, probably like the, it was honestly like the five minute mark yeah. uh, of that game. So yeah, that's what I can go back to is the last time that I felt content with Seattle sports. And now let me double check the, uh, when was the time the Huskies win probability peaked in the Colorado? Okay, game. good. We want, we want to, oh God, we want to pinpoint the exact time. Oh, there you go. It was, it was five minutes and 45 seconds left. They got up to uh 80% win probability in a game they eventually lost 73-69. So the Utah men had an ex- a thrilling moment on Thursday with Moses Woods game winning three at the buzzer at Cal. I told you in the group chat, the uh, the the Carcino family group chat that I felt nothing, but you said you were very much excited about this Oh, one. it was fun. You can't tell me. Anytime you get a game winning three like that, that's fun. Huskies Trailed by is led by as many as 11 in the second half, but then Cal went on a 10 nothing run to take the lead. Huskies were down four with 31 seconds left, but Anthony Holland made a key three pointer with 24 seconds remaining. And Faraday's Amok missed two free throws, giving UW the opportunity to win. Wood, much like Lauren Schwartz the next night, was 107 on three before making the game winner. Big game for Anthony Holland, who had four threes off the bench. But still, the Huskies settled for another split after a loss Saturday in Palo Alto. Uh, really a make-or-miss game for them in a 90-80 loss to Stanford. Uh, the Cardinals shot just 48% on Tuesday to Huskies, 56%, but went 13 of 24 from three-point range, including a career-high eight for Spencer Jones, whose 30 points were also a career-high. Huskies got 20 points and 11 boards from Keelan Brooks Jr., 18 from Wood. But Wilhelm Breidenbach started again at center and had his first career double-double with 12 points and 10 boards. He never had a double-double in Nebraska? He didn't even come particularly close. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah, no, he didn't play that much at Nebraska. Like, Wilhelm Breidenbach has really been the revelation of the season for the Huskies. But obviously, they continue to miss Frank Kepnong, who still has not played in conference play. I believe the Gonzaga game was where he got injured, right? That sounds right. If you're pinpointing the high point of the UW men's basketball season, the very last second against Gonzaga, it's all been downhill from there. Uh, UW now heads home badly needing at least one win and maybe to sweep the mountain schools who both come in five and three, part of a three-team tie. One fourth win? In the what does, for what? They need one win to get where? Just to stay alive. <sighs> You Colorado. never know how you're going to feel about something until it happens. And I never imagined how much I would hate this UW basketball team. Actually, I did imagine that because I've hated many in a row. But like, right. the it just, it really felt promising. It did. 
It they did. beat Gonzaga. And that's that's the thing. Nobody can take that away from them. You know? Uh, you know who I, I will to give, take away from them? I will give Mike Hopkins credit uh, long after he is hopefully gone as head coach. I will give Mike Hopkins credit for beating Gonzaga. I guess I was going to say Gonzaga continues to take away from that, but they did move up in Ken Palm after a, a pair of lopsided wins over Pepperdine and San Diego on the road last weekend. Not, not a great year for a guy, Lorenzo Romar, who's 9-12 and 12 this season. And Javon Porter has not developed as I was hoping this year. He was really quite promising as a freshman, but hasn't played much this year. All right, Colorado 5-0 and at home in Pac-12 play, but 0-3 on the road, including a 47-point loss at Arizona and losses to Arizona State <laughs> and Cal. Really, Pac-12 is going out with a bang. Some of these oh, losses. Just so Pac-12. Uh, likely the lottery pick Cody Williams did not play in the first two of those games, but has been back for the last four, averaging 17 points per game. He's got a chance to be the number one overall pick this year. Uh, Buffaloes will also have senior big man Tristan Da Silva, your there favorite, who missed the mass matchup between these two teams in Boulder. Utah also 5-0 and at home, 0-3 on the road in conference play. Uh, they did have a true non road non conference win at St. Mary's, something Colorado can't boast. They, Colorado has not won a road game all season. Uh, you know they they've only played four of them, so certainly they've got a good chance to get it Just, at UW. You know that it's going to be UW, right? If if the thing has not happened all season, just wait until it meets Mike Hopkins. Like that's how this works. The Utes at least lost at Stanford instead of Cal doing so without senior guard Rolly Worcester, who also missed last weekend's home sweep of the Oregon schools. Without him, Davon Smith has done a terrific job at point guard, averaging 16.3 points and 9.8 assists over the last four games and recording a triple-double at Stanford wow. with 16 points, 11 assists, and 10 boards. Uh, they've also been without seven-footer Lawson Loverine, who missed the uh, last weekend's games after leaving the Stanford loss in the opening moments. Uh, the other player to watch is obviously seven-footer Brandon Carlson, who had 34 points on 11 of 18 shooting when these two teams played in Salt Lake City. So, there you go. All right, you know football. Remember when we did percentage chances of victory a few times? We did. We're not doing that now. <laughs> Uh, the Huskies, to no one's surprise, announced three more assistant coaches after we recorded last week, all coming with Jed Fish from Arizona, those being offensive coordinator and offensive line coach Brennan Carroll, son of Pete, wide receiver coach Kevin Cummings, and cornerback coach John Richardson. They still have not chosen a defensive coordinator or linebacker coach, and I think have at least one more full-time coaching position available on top of those. Uh, because actually I, I said John Richardson is cornerback coach. He's he's secondary coach at UW. He was cornerback coach at Arizona. So, you know, they they have some positions left to fill, which potentially could go to the holdovers from Kevin DeBoer's staff, including the co-defensive coordinators, uh, William Inge. Kind of interesting Chuck that Morrell. there's been no announcement about them at all. Yeah. That they're kind of, I mean, it's, I thought did generally a pretty good job if the players that they coached are are fairly desirable in the transfer portal overall, you know, like there are players going to pretty good schools in the transfer portal, then they must've been doing something right. And they have players who are going to be drafted relatively high in the draft from that defense. Like I would be very happy if both of the co-defensive coordinators came back. I would agree with that. Uh, it looks like Arizona under Brent Brennan is 
hiring Dwayne Aquina as defensive coordinator. So that's not going to be an available position. He was previously an analyst at Arizona. You're saying for William Engine. Yeah. I, I, I mean, they might be waiting around for Michigan, like, which I, looks like it's going to open. I don't know that they should be waiting around for that necessarily though. I, I don't think they, I don't assume that they are. I mean, who knows? Maybe there's some sort of conversation with it's definitely not defensive coordinator at Alabama. It just doesn't really make sense to me why a week has passed and nothing has been figured out for that. It seems likely that, you know, that many of them will, will stay, but we'll see. We will. I, I also think that that could be a helpful thing with regard to retaining players from the current roster. Yeah. Retaining players. And then also just going out and getting more players as well. All right. No, I guess when we should talk about the quarterback position for UW. So Noah Fafita, Tetaroa McMillan, and Jacob Manu, all the group of players that were all, as we discussed last week, from Servite High School uh, as part of uh, Jed Fish's first full recruiting class at Arizona, or second recruiting class at Arizona. They all announced their intention to stay there and not seek transfers. So Noah Fafita will not be the UW quarterback. And the domino from that, Will Rogers withdrawing his name from the transfer portal, deciding to stay at UW and now the favorite to be the starting quarterback this season. And, and you know, the basically the, the chatter when they went back to Arizona was that they were considering an offer from Alabama. And if that would have happened, it's just, I don't think I could have gone on. I think that would have been it. That would have, I, I'm sure that I would still pay attention to college football, but that would have been such an all-time gut punch to have those players, to have Kalen DeBoer leave and then take those players to Alabama. So to me, this is kind of like splitting the difference. Uh, and at the same time, Noah Fafita is a more promising quarterback than Will Rogers. I think we can all agree on that. Having Will Rogers come back is a pretty huge deal for the University of Washington, having an experienced quarterback. And I, as time passed, and especially when they announced they were going back, I wasn't shocked by the news of Will Rogers coming back. It no, felt I don't like think anyone should have been. It made sense for Will Rogers to enter the portal, see what was out there. You know, a lot of teams have just already found their quarterbacks. I'm sure there are places that he could have gone, but like, you know, Will Rogers was set in Seattle while most quarterbacks were looking for their, most colleges were looking for their quarterback. So... A lot of teams are just set there, and it's kind of like it's going to be probably something worse than UW. There are a lot worse outcomes in the world than being the quarterback for UW with Jed Fish as your head coach. Ultimately, it is a good situation to be in as a quarterback. I think that's what people are kind of missing a little bit about this, and I'm viewing this in a rosy way a little bit. But like Noah Fafita was played better at Arizona than Jane Delora played at Arizona. Noah Fafita wasn't like an all-time recruit in the way that Tedero McMillan was. Noah Fafita was a three-star recruit. And Jed Fish, in his offense, turned Noah Fafita. Obviously, these two things work in conjunction with each other. But having a good off, having a, a good offense needs a good quarterback and vice versa. So I, I have faith and confidence in the same way that I did with Kalen DeBoer and Will Rogers, that Jed Fish can make Will Rogers a very good Big Ten quarterback. So I think it's a huge deal. People should want to play for Jed Fish and for to play with Will Rogers as starting quarterback as they're able to develop these quarterbacks behind them, which we can talk about in a second. I, I have no idea if it'll matter. Maybe you can revise your bold prediction to DeMond Williams or whatever. We'll right. start more games than, than Will <laughs> Rogers. But like, 
there, there's there's still such a reality with quarterbacks that it, after your starter, it kind of doesn't it it can matter, but it also these players may never see the field at UW. So taking that much time to dwell on younger quarterbacks is a, a little bit of a, a fool's game to me. I think it's basically starting quarterback or nothing here, and that's what Will Rogers will enter the spring and fall as. So I think a couple of things. Number one, like just the importance of Will Rogers' experience, I think is is pretty important for UW, especially in a situation where we'll see how much experience they have elsewhere, including particularly the offensive line, which is the biggest question mark, I think, right now. But the other element is, like you mentioned, Devon Williams Jr. replacing, who's headed here after originally enrolling at Arizona as a 2024 recruit. Like, there's a big difference between Devon Williams Jr. playing as a true freshman with no college experience and Austin Mack playing after a year in Kalen DeBoer's system and taking snaps as the third string quarterback. Like there was still would have been a huge experience difference between him and Will Rogers, but the difference between a redshirt freshman and a true freshman is still pretty considerable in that regard, I would say. And Will Rogers, like just having played in SEC road games, like, he's prepared for what he's going to face in the big 10. There's nothing that's going to surprise him from that standpoint. So I do think it's a positive, even if I have some questions about, you know, kind of his ability to make all the throws in a pro style offense, like Jed fish is going to run. So, I mean, it's unquestionably great news for the Huskies 2024 chances. It's just the, 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 this whole experience has taught us a lot about silver linings. And all of a sudden when it was like Will Rogers in the transfer portal and I was like, fuck it, we're going to get somebody better than Will Rogers. All of a sudden Will Rogers coming back is like, thank God they got Will Rogers. And look, I said it in the Kevin DeBoer emergency pod. I stand by the part parable of the Chinese farmer. Is it bad luck? Is it good luck? Maybe so. So many of these things. I think you made this point offline that like, when Fafita decided not to transfer here, that these quarterback backup plans have a way of working out a lot of the time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for UW, the consolation prizes, right? We we talked about Michael Penix Jr. I, we were looking for Jay Gaynor when Michael Penix Jr. transferred to UW. Michael Penix Jr. is like, oh, he's had... It was honestly a similar thing to Will Rogers where we were like, well, he was good a couple of years ago with Kalen DeBoer and then in a bad system and wasn't good and he needs to stay healthy. And all of a sudden, he's number two in the Heisman. Yep. So, I I don't think you should have that as the base expectation for Will Rogers, but like I would definitely not have that as the base expectation for Will Rogers. But yeah, it is, in, it is we'll within see. a window of possibilities. I I think people are underrating Jed Fish a little bit right now. And the thing that I noted to you was that I did I say I said this offline, right? The Arizona roster was really really young, and the UW roster was very very old. And just seeing how those two rosters interacted with each other, Arizona was all promise, right? That is all players, basically, that Jed Fish recruited. Jed Fish made Arizona in his three years there. And you really kind of can't deny that. Kalen DeBoer also, like, UW was not in a great place before Kalen DeBoer. But when you look at the core of the team, at this offensive line that we're upset about leaving, like, those are good offensive line players, and they've been developed over time. And having a brand-new offensive line is going to be hard. Those aren't Kalen DeBoer's players, Ultimately, Roma Dunze isn't Kalen DeBoer's player. Jalen McMillan isn't Kalen DeBoer's player. Like, the amount of players that Kalen DeBoer succeeded with who were already in the program because of Chris Peterson, and some of whom because of Jimmy Lake, was a huge portion 
of it was Penix coming in from Kalen DeBoer and a handful of other pieces. You know, Jabbar Muhammad was a big one. Jed Fish built the fucking program at Arizona. Like, you kind of can't deny that. And if Jed Fish was able to do that at Arizona and get them to the place that they were beating Oklahoma in a bowl game in a very hard Pac-12, they were the third best team in a very hard Pac-12, there is nothing to me that suggests that he can't do that again. It's a little bit of starting over, but the his ability to recruit and his ability to coach the players is apples to apples, maybe on the same level as Kalen DeBoer. And the fact that he had done once already makes me more encouraged going forward that he's able to do it again. So I mean, that's a challenge is to do it again. Is you know, it's it's still relatively small sample size at Arizona because he was only there for a few years. It was his only head coaching job and it was the only job that he was in for that long. But he might have brought the entire roster from Arizona and we still wouldn't fucking know. Right. All right. Well he did bring a couple of players, a few players with him from Arizona. Let's talk about the uh, newcomers to the Utah roster. We mentioned last week that Jonah Coleman was very likely to transfer here from Arizona. Uh, a 2021 redshirt who played as a backup at running back in 2022 before emerging as a star last year, averaging 6.8 yards per carry. He finished eighth in the Pac-12 in rushing EPA with a higher average and better per play and better success rate than UW's Dylan Johnson. Uh, easily outperformed former starter Michael Wiley and backup DJ Williams, both of whom were only average in EPA per plot per rush. Everything we say about running backs don't matter in the NFL in terms of, you know, the success is more about the offensive line and the quality of your pass game. I don't believe that is true in, in college. And to the extent that, you know, uh, individual season is reliable, there's like Jonah Coleman looks very much like the real deal. Oh, yeah. We have to be very excited about Sean Coleman right now. So a chance to start. Cam Davis is still on the roster, has not submitted a notification of transfer. Uh, Tybo Rogers has. He's new to the transfer portal since we last recorded. But, uh, uh, you know, he looks like Coleman and Cam Davis look like the guys next season. Uh, also, cornerback Jordan Shaw, who was an Indiana transfer previously set to join Arizona, a three-star 2023 recruit who redshirted last year by playing in four games. For the Hoosiers, he started two of those, has all four years of eligibility remaining. This is an exciting one to get someone with some experience and four years of eligibility. Massive. And then also a couple of 2024 Arizona signings coming with Fish to Seattle. Uh, we alluded to this quarterback, Damon Williams Jr., who is a four-star recruit, ranked 19th among quarterbacks by 24-7 Sports Composite, two spots behind UW early in real enrollee Dramaricus Davis, who subsequently submitted his own notification of transfer. That made sense. You're not going to you know, take two top-rated quarterbacks in the same class, and uh, ultimately Fish chose Williams over Davis, who was someone this who was had visited a, Arizona. A quarterback taking his guy, or a coach taking his guy. Yeah. He already knows Demond Williams. the The idea that that college recruiting rankings could know more than Jed Fish in this scenario is just like it's fucking laughable. Like these recruiting rankings are so absurd as they are. The the idea that you can actually compare players like this in such wildly different situations, or what they're going to be translating from high school to college, is just like maybe yeah, on a macro sense. It's an it's exact science for Jed Fish as well. But but the, but the two spots is just like who cares. It's just to note that they're in the same ballpark, I think. Yes. Not not that like 17th you, versus you 19th. Say it's a grade, is what I'm saying. Sure. Uh, also, running back Adam Muhammad, who is a three star recruit from Glendale, Arizona. Dash Byerly. 
you don't have the time. So this, this is the quarterback in 2025 who yeah. is now committed to UW. He's a three-star recruit. The 2025 is so far away. I don't think it's really worth discussing. <laughs> Jed Fish might not even be the coach yeah. uh, when that NFL job opens up. Takario Davis. What, let's also, see what conference the Huskies are even in. I I believe star quarterback from Arizona right now. Um, he went into the transfer portal with a with one of the do not contact with a crystal ball. So we'll see whether that means it's UW or somewhere else. I think we'll know very very soon. If it was him, he could be somebody that when you look at him and Jordan Shaw together. Could be pretty huge for this UW secondary, and also could, assuming Jabbar Muhammad does transfer, could be pretty massive as far as replacing Jabbar with it's, Elijah Jackson coming back as well. It seems like all indications are that uh, Jabbar Muhammad is headed elsewhere. Oh, I thought you were saying all indications were that Dakario Davis is coming here, and I was like, damn, okay. Wait, I'm not seeing him in the 24 7 sports. Where, where is he? Uh, I don't know. He had a crystal ball of UW, then he should be in there. No, they didn't say crystal ball of UW. Oh. It's like a, he entered with the do not contact. I see. Okay. Well, he doesn't seem like he's made it in their database anyway. Uh, he uh, led the conference with 15 pass breakups this last year, though. It, it would be a massive one. I, I agree. All it's right. So, corner. Husky players who have. Uh, indicated where they're planning to transfer. We have Austin Mack, as you mentioned, and Jeremy Bernard both headed to, and Parker Brailsford, all three headed to Alabama to play for Kiel and DeBoer. Have fun. That's my advice to Jeremy Bernard. Jeremy Bernard going on his third college in two years, or uh, in as many years. It's just like... I mean, he went from, you know, Michigan State and UW to Alabama. Like, I, I think Jeremy Bernard's doing pretty well for himself. I, I just... Be careful. That's my advice to everybody involved to be careful i don't i just like jeremy bernard's gonna end his career at san jose state or something i think jeremy bernard's gonna be just fine uh mish powell is headed to miami this one hurts uh, walk hard at uw i just i love mish powell so much i mean you just, I mean, you like for mish powell going to oh, a no, place that's where the thing that's the thing where it's like I go to the U. don't go to fucking alabama go to the u and then Ethan... he will play there too. Like Parker Brailsford is going to play at Alabama, which I'm sure you'll mention. Austin Mack, though, I'm like dog. Yeah, that one. Are, that one. Are you sure that. about that, Austin Mack? Like, I know your coach went there, but your coach isn't going to be the same. Your coach is now pe- Alabama head coach Kalen DeBoer, not UW head coach Kalen DeBoer. His coach is going to be the same. Kalen DeBoer remains the same person in Alabama or Washington. The level of the replacement level for an Alabama quarterback versus a UW quarterback is what has changed. But this is not be too patronizing. Jalen Hurts transferred from. Okay, I don't see Tua on the roster. How Uh, do you know Jalen Milrow isn't Tua? Like the point is that. Jalen Milrow isn't going to be the starter for four years. Tua was younger than Jalen Hurts. You you get that right? I I will you be get very that, surprised. Right? I will be surprised if Austin Mack. It's like he's not going to be the starter this year. I agree that I will be surprised if Austin Mack starts more than a handful of games at Alabama. To, to me, the over under is one half for Austin Mack starting. But you said it earlier, like looking at the backup quarterbacks almost doesn't matter anymore because there's so much change at that position from year to year. But uh, but at the same time, I don't I don't necessarily begrudge any of these players for making the decision. It's a it's a you little frustrating. Be, you can't the no. We, we, but like I, I will categorically refuse to allow you to begrudge any of these players. 
you could be disappointed. A refusal to begrudge. <laughs> they're their they're their own people. They have their right to make their own decisions. Again, when, that's what patronizing means. When I mean they committed to UW to play for Kalen DeBoer. Like I understand that. I I just I Troy Dannon understands that. Oh, I I think Troy Dannon is a, a good AD, which means he's gonna be gone. But can we just have UW? Can we just fucking invest? UW has the money. Why can UW not be the most important school in the West Coast? Or the second most important school in the West Coast? I it doesn't really make sense to me. The like investment is there, the infrastructure is there. I mean, maybe we are and we just need who knows about Dan Laning, whether you know Oregon has lost. No, Oregon is definitely the second most prominent program on the UW. But Oregon the lost back to back coaches to other schools, did they not? Um, uh, they only lost one, didn't they? Who's the other? Willie, did Willie Fritz get fired? Oh, I guess Willie Taggart did leave. Willie Taggart, yes, yeah, right. Willie Taggart, yeah. not Willie Fritz. <laughs> um, but so yeah, they had back to back coaches leave, similar to UW having back to back coaches leave. They just happened to land on a coach who decided to stay for now. And maybe Dan Lanning will be there forever and maybe it'll be good forever, but who knows? So I I don't know. Maybe I'm talking to myself into that everything's fine and UW is. We just need to build up the program. And maybe Jed Fish is that guy. I still uh, like the attitude of everybody being like, oh, well, I'm, I'm rescinding my own complaint about it. I take it back. Troy Dannon's going to be the AD for the rest of our lives. I mean, again. With like, head coach Jed Fish. We don't have worried about what everybody else is doing. They were fucking school in the Big Ten. UW football has had two coaches leave for other programs. Those other programs were USC and fucking Alabama. And guess what? They fired five coaches since, you know, since Don James retired. So they also had an athletic again, leave for USC. Don't don't spend all your time worrying about the thing that happens two times. Spend more of your time worrying about the things that happens fucking five times. That's that's my number one piece of advice. We had coaches go to leave for better schools than Oregon had coaches leave for. Uh, the last ACC schools get the fuck out of here. UW transfer to pick a destination. Mm -hmm. Ethan Barr, another one of the players who was already an incoming transfer, he's now headed to UCF. Now, in this one, I do begrudge. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Not allowed to begrudge. Uh, I'm joking at the idea of somebody who never <laughs> did nothing at <laughs> UW to transfer. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe barely we got foot on I'm mildly excited about you, Ethan Barr. God damn it! <laughs> Admittedly, I was never that excited about Ethan Barr when I saw his stats. Will Rogers, though. Will Rogers. I said he would be there on the Heisman podium next year, and I do not take it back. Uh, a last bit of UW news: starting right tackle Roger Rosengarten has declared for the NFL draft with two years of remaining eligibility. Joining starting left tackle Troy Fautano, with Brailsford headed to Alabama, and starting guards Nate Kalepo and Julius Bulow submitting notifications to transfer. It is possible that the Huskies will not return any starter from last year's offensive line, which would not be ideal. Not be ideal. It's not great. All right. Anything else on UW football? Uh, it's, it's interesting to me that the coaching carousel, which I feel like has been longer than it's almost ever been. Oh yeah. No, I, it's like, it really just keeps going. And with the transfer portal opening up, I feel like at this point, what we need to cheer for is as many college coaches just getting other jobs because UW just needs guys. Michigan right? hiring some mid-major coach as their offensive coordinator if they pre and do indeed promote Brendan Moore to uh, replace Jim Harbaugh. 
Yeah, we need multiple tiers. I mean, Chip Kelly, as long as he's not getting hired in Seattle, go get a job in the NFL, Chip. That's where you belong, right? If you get UCLA opening up, Michigan opening up somewhere else, that is that is what we need right now. Just more possibilities. Texas has to have enough players. Right? I know, right? Came up with Brennan Moore. And Sharon Moore is the uh, offensive coordinator at Michigan. Moore? That's because everybody's Brennan now. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, yes. Everyone's Brennan. <laughs> I did that one. I think people were treating it like it's set in stone that Sharon Moore is going to take that job. I you, you think he's going to decline it, or do you think they're going to hire no, someone else? I I think when you've coached like half of the games and your team won the national championship, they're probably going to make you the head coach. I don't I don't know if it's set in stone that'll be I mean, Sharon Moore. Sure, I don't agree that it's set in stone. I agree that it's not set in stone. I, think I just it's don't... very likely. I don't really know who it would be at this point, and we're just so far along in the process. Well, you know, there's some concerns from the boosters at Alabama about Kalen DeBoer. Maybe he could get ahead of that by taking the Michigan. Yeah, job. what's his buyout right now? <laughs> Has he signed the contract, or is it just a memorandum of understanding? the The reality is, I wasn't worried about the Michigan job for Kalen DeBoer, and now in hindsight. I would be worried about the Michigan job for Galen DeBoer. Like he might have been gone one way or the other. Maybe so. And and maybe it would take a Galen DeBoer. It just for some reason the only super super desirable coaches happen to be coaching in the Northwest to big programs. It's very strange. Uh, so that that's what we want though right now. So we want Jim. I think Jim Harbaugh to the Chargers is basically a done deal unless. And- Nevertheless, that was incredible. That was an incredible tweet. I just, it's, I, I don't even know if there's truth to it at all. Like it's, it's only the one report, right? From uh, uh, what was Tom Pelissero that reported it, wasn't it? Oh, I thought it was Mike Florio. Was it Tom Pelissero? But like, that's the the only post that we've seen about it. I think it's done with Jim Harbaugh, though. It it does seem that way. It seems more that Pete Carroll wanted the Chargers job. Uh, let's see. No, I guess that was Jim, Mike Florio, wasn't it? Huh. I think I underestimated. This is why people should know why USC is such a desirable head coaching job. The Chargers are set up in a nice way or whatever. Being a head coach in the city of Los Angeles is a pretty nice setup. Mike Garofolo reported that the Chargers and Harbaugh are within striking distance of a deal so that uh i think it's basically done um all right let's transfer here to talking but, but over do you, you understand what i'm saying like the chargers are in a nice place they've got a good young quarterback but being a head coach in the city of los angeles is maybe it's up there with the most important things like for jim harbaugh to have left michigan after winning a national championship i think it takes a, a unique situation and i think it takes being in la same with Pete Carroll fighting for it. We haven't heard Pete Carroll's fighting for the Falcons job. We haven't heard that Pete Carroll's fighting to be the coach of the Titans or whatever, you know? Yes. LA is a very desirable city in which to live, it turns out. Thanks for the update. I want I want to go to there. So let's start with the one bit of Seahawks news that actually has transpired, which is that former offensive coordinator Shane Waldron has taken the same job with the Chicago Bears. Uh, we talked a lot about it this a lot this season. 
Waldron was maligned, I think, at a lot of the season by Seahawks fans because of their woes on third down and the, you know, kind of inconsistency of their offense. And then you looked at like the tape people and they all loved everything he was doing. EPA was great. Like all the objective indicators seemed to indicate that Sean, Shane Waldron was a very good offensive coordinator, if not necessarily the kind of star or personality who made sense as a head coaching candidate for the Seahawks. The offenses were never quite good enough for him to be head coaching candidate, which is the reality that we're talking about. It's like a lot of this shit is just luck. Oh, yeah. Right place at the right time. It's pairing a pretty good coordinator. Like, I, I guess the margins for being a good coaching candidate and for being a like neutral or fine coaching candidate are basically do you have a star quarterback? Right? Like, and this is no offense to Bobby Slowick, but like, did Bobby Sloak make CJ Stroud or did CJ Stroud make Bobby Sloak? And that's kind of where you end up at is. Well, is Jerry, did Jerry Goff make Ben Johnson or did Ben Johnson make Jerry yeah, the, Goff? The Lions are objectively a very talented offense. Yes. I did have the thought during the game on whatever day it was they played last week. I can't remember. They're like, is Amon Ray, or Amon Ray St. Brown really the reason that they're oh, this good? I, 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 I know how to pronounce his name. I just could not get it out for some reason. But, but Ross, they have invested a lot on offense overall. I mean, they've had a lot of picks, but like, Amon Ra, I mean, also when you land an Amon Ross St. Brown in the fourth round, that makes everything else easier. We kind of talked about that. Yeah. Then you can afford to spend a first round pick on Jameer Gibbs. I mean, you still should have, but they could. <laughs> anyway, I, I think Shane Walter is great. I mean, DVOA wise, the Seahawks have been pretty solid offensively during his tenure. You know, there there are times when it felt like they got away from some of the motion offense, but I also, at the same time with coordinators, this is Pete Carroll's team. This was Pete Carroll's team. And it's impossible also, to say. Like when you look at the expectations for this team offensively after they traded Russell Wilson, like Yeah. No, I think like, Shane Walter people had thought they awesome had the tenure. worst quarterback room in the league going into the <laughs> 2022 season, excluding nobody. And then they, it, it would be very funny to look back at some of the quarterback rooms that people thought that Geno Smith was worse than. De definitely one of them included Zach Wilson as a starter. Oh, it so, sure did. Uh, but I think Shane Waldron is great. I'm so excited for Shane Waldron to have ended up in that situation where they're probably going to have Caleb Williams plus another star in that offense. Uh, I think they go offense with both of those picks. Like, I'm just happy for Shane Waldron. He's going to be a head coach in this league. DJ Moore, too. Uh, I reflected back today on the... I, I've mentioned it many times on this podcast, but the halftime in Indianapolis of week one of the 2021 oh, yeah. season yeah. when the Seahawks were cooking the Colts uh, on their way to an impressive road victory. And like they were doing all the things they were using motion. Like it was everything we wanted to see at snap motion in particular. And Ben Baldwin and I met up. At, yeah. We were like, concourse D, D is going to be a monster in this offense. Uh, <laughs> it never got that good again. No, is we'll always have the first half of that game. As much the as they overachieved in the last couple of years, we'll always have well, that. Honestly, I think what you have to say is, when I saw the Shane Waldron news, I'm just not not having fun as a Seattle sports fan. And see, that came that Shane Waldron game was right after UW got crushed by Michigan. Yes, yes, it was. Yeah. So I I can't say that that's the moment that I felt most content, but I think I was thinking of this, I was reflecting on this, and I think maybe you have to go back a little bit further 
And I was thinking February 1st, 2015. (laughs) That morning, right? The morning of the Super Bowl? Of Super Bowl 49. Did you lose to Cal that day, the men's basketball game that was played earlier in the afternoon that I attended before coming to the Super Bowl party? I I don't know. I don't know. Don't care. Was Lorenzo Romar the coach still? Yeah. Yeah, he would have been. Oh, Lorenzo Romar is the coach. UW had just finished up their first season under Chris Peterson. We knew the direction was right. We were about to start things with a fresh young quarterback, freshman named Jake Browning, who subsequently did nothing wrong. You, the Seahawks were about to win back-to-back Super Bowls uh, with a chance to be, nobody ever has three-peated, right? With a chance to be the first team ever to have three-peated. This was back Bowl, before yeah. Richard Sherman was was praising Brock Purdy. Like, I just, so I think I'm just, Shane Waldron, I, I'm happy I for I actually him. am pro-Richard Sherman praising Brock Purdy. Because like you're all about getting the bigger money, bigger extension from Brock Purdy. I mean, yes, but number that's number one. But number two, also, like I appreciate Brock uh, Richard Sherman appreciating the value of quarterbacks. Yeah, he appreciates the value of quarterback. Uh, UW <laughs> lost ninety to eighty eight to Cal in that game. Uh, Nigel Nigel Williams Goss had thirty one points on eleven of seventeen shooting. Played all forty minutes. Wait, didn't box. he transfer to Gonzaga? We sure did transfer to Gonzaga. Wow, another reason we need to go. That's that's actually the last moment before Nigel Williams goes. I don't want to go all the way back to before Dan Dickow transferred to Gonzaga. That's a little bit too far, but we still had Nigel Williams goes. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's got to be a period in the '90s where you know the C- the Sonics were NBA championship. Oh, the so the Sonics. Oh, we had a team existed. <laughs> The Mariners had Ken Griffey Jr. and A-Rod and Randy Johnson and Edgar Martinez on the same roster. Like, the Seahawks might not have been great, but that's still got to be the most satisfying moment, right? I, and and you dub football. But, no, I mean, of course you would go back to, like, I don't know, probably, like, 96 or something like that. Like, if if dino- dinosaurs roamed the earth, right? Ken Griffey, <laughs> Ken Griffey Jr., Edgar Martinez, Alex Rodriguez, Sean Kemp, and Gary Payton all played sports in the city of Seattle. Like, and Joey Galloway was on the team, right? Yeah. Whew. So anyway, I think that was the last time that I was truly content. Well, presumably the last time you were truly content was not after the Seahawks reported second interviews for head coach, <laughs> which so far <laughs> they have been reported as requesting second interviews with Ajiro Avero. Patrick Graham, Mike Kafka, Raheem Morris, and Dan Quinn, those being all four of the defensive coordinators they have previously interviewed in their first round, along with Mike Kafka. Uh, not yet reported second interviews that they reported they interviewed a first time. Ben Johnson, who is not eligible, as we alluded to, because the Alliance have advanced to the NFC Championship game. Uh, the aforementioned Bobby Slowick, as well as Dolphins offensive coordinator Frank Smith, who I would say are probably the three coaches at the top of my list. Of the eight they've interviewed thus far. Yeah, that seems fair. Are we going to talk about this now or do you want to go into your research? You talk about generally the idea of hiring a defensive coach and why why that bothers you so much. I, I am so deeply convinced that the Seahawks are going to fuck this up. Like, and and honestly, I think John Schneider just frittered away his legacy. Like, it's, it's a, not just, I think John Schneider is about to fritter away his legacy. And the person who's going to be left laughing at the end of the day is, you know what? He's the person I want to cheer for. 
And it's Peter Clay Carroll. As always, as always, this is how you win forever. He said, take, take my guy, John Schneider. If it's him or me, have fun with John Schneider. Because what John Schneider is going to do is just try to find Pete Carroll 2.0. And it seems like there's still, there's still some smoke around Dan Quinn. And the fact that he went back and interviewed all of these defensive coordinator coaches, like, to me, it's just, it's, oh, there's certain things that you can do as a coach and there's there's a reality that ultimately players win games and having good players is the most important thing something that john schneider also influences i think we've come to the point that john schneider is now the villain maybe because he's left standing but like he's still signed off on that leonard williams trade Pete carroll doesn't make those trades leonard williams makes those trades or leonard, john schneider <laughs> leonard makes those did not make those <laughs> trades he, he makes defensive plays i mean yes and no Pete carroll had final say on everything he you know he overruled john schneider hypothetically when they disagreed i will say it is funny to me like if you said if if pete carroll hadn't coached the seahawks for the last 14 years and had we hadn't had everything built up with pete carroll that we did and you saw that list of candidates and then pete carroll was also a candidate you'd be like oh my god they gotta hire pete carroll Oh, I still, I would rather them rehire Pete Carroll than any of these guys. Like, have they considered it? No, I, I would rather have Pete Carroll back than any of these coaches. The problem is, and I actually talked about this last year. The, the problem is Pete Carroll wasn't the worst possible coach in the world. It's just that there are better coaches out there. Hypothetically, we don't know. You know what I mean? Like, we can't tell. There are people who are more likely to put the team in a better position overall. I I am generally convinced that I don't think that defensive defend I don't think defensive coaches make defenses better. I think players make defenses better and I think the one play the one place that you can influence the talent you have and that you can win a little bit more at the talent you have is on offense. Scheme matters more on offense, players matter more on defense. I think that is that is how I view football. Or whatever. I don't. I don't know if there's a way to statistically judge this, but I will say there's a lot of pretty good defensive coaches who don't have very good defenses. So, and there aren't as many offensive coaches who don't have good offenses, from what I've seen. Do you agree with that? I agree with that. I mean, one of the things I come back to is like there was a period where, you know, it seemed that, like, oh, everyone is just going to hire someone who happened to know Sean McVay, and then like you look they back all on that out. era. Like, unless you count Cliff Kingsbury in that, who does not belong because he might have been like friendly with Sean McVay, but did not coach with him or no, Kyle Shanahan and brought an entirely different college style offense to the NFL that shit did not work. Like, the other coaches were LaFleur, Zach Taylor, and Mike McDaniel. And like, maybe you, the, if you stretch it far enough, well, Brandon Staley, that, but like Brandon Staley was a defensive coach. Yeah. No, I'm talking about offensive coaches here. The fact that Mike LaFleur, you know, failed as Jets offensive coordinator, I guess, is one person from this. But tree that's what I was saying about, not about coordinators coach. is Michael LaFleur with the right talent probably is a good offensive coordinator. And it's weird that like the one offensive coordinator that they have asked for a second interview yet, again, granted that they have not been able to interview Ben Johnson is seemingly the least desirable and the one who has not come from this tree in terms of Mike Kafka. I just am also like, are you really going to make Mike Kafka head coach? Because the times that things get pretty fucked up is when there's just, 
you go way left field with these hires. And in the same way, like Cliff Kingsbury was a way left field hire. Had right. just been fired as a college coach at Texas and Tech. There are a lot of coaches who are in the mix here who are not. I I mean, Dan Quinn, I don't think has been told that he's not going to be back as defensive coordinator of the Cowboys. I think they're just waiting to see how this plays out. But oh, like, I, I think they would be happy to have Dan Quinn back as defensive coordinator if he doesn't. Okay, get coaching fair job enough. Role. But you look they, at the, I mean, like, if you're going to overreact to the one game, you should overreact to it on offense and not on defense. Brian Johnson also, though, was a hypothetical coaching candidate, not going to be back with the Eagles. Like, it, it would be good for somebody to bring in somebody that is guaranteed to have their current job because they are excelling at their current job so much. But so the, the, the places that you can influence the game as a coach is offensive scheme. We've seen it. You look at the teams that are remaining, the teams that went far in the playoffs, right? The coaches from that tree that you're talking about, Zach Taylor had his quarterback injured, but he still took the Bengals to the Super Bowl. They were one of the best teams in the league last year and the year before this current one, before Jake Browning was their quarterback for much of the season. Matt LaFleur has done it now with two different quarterbacks. Looked pretty fucking good. Kyle Shanahan has had some down years, but is clearly an excellent coach and has an excellent offense when all the pieces are there. Sean McVay had this current Rams team. Like, this actually was the year that Sean McVay, this was Sean McVay's most impressive season. I agree. And this was the first year where I was like, damn, Sean McVay is actually a good coach. You know? Like, I was always... I, I feel like I have begrudgingly accepted all of these coaches over time, but those are the coaches who've been left in the playoffs. And, you know, it's either that or coaches who have superstar quarterbacks and know not to fuck well, it up with those superstar quarterbacks. Andy Reid isn't part of this tree. He comes from his own very different legacy as kind of the last of the, you know, the, the San Francisco West Coast offense coaches yes. left out there. But he's very much an offensive coach. When at the same time, but like, Having a superstar quarterback also, those are the teams that are left, are teams with great schemes and teams with superstar quarterbacks, period, right? Yeah. And and that's kind of how this works. So the great the Lions are a great scheme team. You look at most of the playoffs, it's either you have Josh Allen, you have Patrick Mahomes, or you have an excellent scheme and you have Bobby Slowick, right? There aren't that many teams out there that are like, Oh, they had a pretty good defensive coach. Like that's that's how you end up being the Jets. And I think I think Demeco Ryan's was probably a good hire in Houston. But at the same time, they won because of their offense, not because of their defense. And Bobby Slow deserves a lot of credit for that. C.J. Stroud also deserves a lot of credit for that. So if there are certain things that you can influence as a coach, which is more on offense than on defense, if you can't can't really influence defense that much as head coach outside of talent. Just go spend the money on talent and find somebody with a good offensive scheme, period. That's where it should end. But also, the other places that you can do it is influencing things like third down decisions. I was impressed with Todd Bowles. Fourth and, down decisions. Oh, sorry, and fourth down decisions. Third down, too. You can punt any punt. time you want. <laughs> Nobody ever talks about that it's a decision to not punt on third down. Um, that Every punt is a turnover, for what it's worth. But influencing making good fourth down decisions, doing the stuff like Todd Bowles did going for two down eight, which ultimately I think Ben posted where it was basically like statistically, this is just fucking noise. Like fourth down, the fourth down is all that matter. And I sat there and I watched Todd Bowles punt away that game. And Todd Bowles as a defensive coach is going to have similar to Pete Carroll, more faith in his defense. That is how this works. Overall defensive coaches are going to have more faith and more confidence in their defenses than they probably should. 
And we saw it with somebody like, I mean, it's funny, Dan Lanning is actually so good at this as a defensive coach, but you see it with Kalen DeBoer. Kalen DeBoer is like, we need to score on offense right now. Like, I love the defense. Love you all. You might not make a play. We need to go get this right now. We can't worry about getting the ball back. That, to me, is where a coach influences things the most, is through the scheme, through those decisions, and my confidence in an offensive coach and making those right decisions. It's our biggest complaint about Pete Carroll. If you're just going to find somebody who's like Pete Carroll, you might as well go get one of the best people in football in Pete Carroll. Like, yeah. we all fucking love Pete Carroll. Like, Don't if you do hire, this again, Sean. If you hire Mike Vrabel, it's just like a less charismatic, less fun no. Pete Carroll. And he just looks like such a fucking asshole on the sidelines, too. You're just like, I don't, I don't, I don't want think this that guy Mike representing Vrabel is an asshole. I, no, I'm I sure he's, I'm sure Mike Vrabel is a fine person, but literally nobody, it, it, the intangible stuff at coaching, nobody in the league compares to Pete Carroll. Like, it's not even close. Pete Carroll is number one. Uh, Mike McDaniel, I will say, Mike McDaniel. <laughs> You get two, but like uh, of the, the just like, available. God be incredible. Um, but of all the intangible things, like it is Pete Carroll. It is Mike McDaniel. Nobody else is comparable to that. So to make the decision to fire Pete Carroll, a good decision, you have to go find somebody who's not just Pete Carroll again. Cause then what the fuck are we doing here, John? And that's to me, I just feel that John Schneider is about to fuck this up and he's about to become the villain. For the last 15 years, everything that went wrong, it's all on John Schneider's shoulders now. So, I mean, I think the most important point here is the Seahawks haven't hired anyone. The list of reported second interviews thus far is not the... Give me, the, give the me report. your argument for this. The report also suggested there's going to be additional second interviews. And we said earlier, the Seahawks should cast a wide net, should talk to as many people as possible. The other situation here is, let's say, you know, I, I don't necessarily think this is, is going to happen because there's a lot of smoke about him to the commanders. But if they hire Ben Johnson as a first-time offensive coordinator, who's not going to bring necessarily, you know, a defensive coach with him from Detroit, well, John, one of the things John Schneider has more power over now is... He can help, he can influence the coaching staff below the head coach as well. So if it's Ben Johnson and we're picking between, you know, Ajiro, Ajiro Averro, I mean, Raheem Morris and Patrick Graham have jobs. It's a little different. But, you know, if Averro is going to be the defensive coordinator with Ben Johnson, then interviewing him a couple of times makes a lot of sense. So I'm not going to worry, freak out that much until the Seahawks don't, don't worry about the decision until the decision is made. There'll be plenty of time to worry about it once it's made. To your other point about defensive coaches and fourth downs, I decided to do some research here because I'm not content just having assumptions like you are. So with the help of NFL Fast R, the fourth down NFL program, everything that Ben Baldwin and his group has created, I went through and researched. So Ben's cutoff that he used a few years ago when he was charting this was decisions where going forward on fourth down adds at least 1.5% of win probability. So clear cases where you should go for it. And I decided to separate this out into offensive and defensive coaches based on the background of these coaches before they became head coaches, as well as special teams coordinators, uh, which is mostly John Harbaugh, but not exclusively John Harbaugh. So it, what I found was very interesting. Uh, we have this data going back to 2014, and over the whole sample, offensive coaches have gone for it 
44% of the time in situations where you should go. Defenses have got coaches have gone for it 40% of the time. But if you graph it year by year, it becomes much more, and that's an average of year by year because I didn't want to overweight because it has been going up over that period. But if you look at it by year by year, it's actually much more fascinating because up through 2018, there was no difference between these two groups. Offensive coaches were 32%. Defensive coaches were 31%. Since 2019, offensive coaches have been more likely to go for it on fourth down every year and often by substantial amounts. So from 2019 through 23 inclusive, offensive coaches have gone for it 54% of the time in advantageous situations. Defensive coaches have gone for it just 47.5% of the time. So I do think there's still an individual, you know, it's important to talk to the individual rather than to just, again, make an assumption based on their background because Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan, even though they are the, you know, the best at, uh, I assume presumably the best at creating an offensive environment and calling plays, they play super scared on fourth down as offensive coaches. So that's not a guarantee, but it does seem there's some it's, evidence that offensive coaches are more likely to go for it. Is actually a positive for the stat overall, though. Because it's still being weighed down by those two coaches. Well, means the point the is you need to talk coaches. to the coaches to make sure that they don't individually think like Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan and that they you individually think like I, Dan I mean, Campbell and Mike McDaniel. That's true. But also, like, if you could have Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan right now, you're probably taking that. I, I agree with that. But we're there, not there hiring. There are some trade-offs to the shit. You're not hiring Sean McVay. You can't be guaranteed that if it's Ben Johnson or if it's Bobby Slowick or whoever it is, that they're going to be, you know, I that can level tell of you offensive right now mastermind. how Ben Johnson would approach fourth downs. I, I'm confident I think, as well. I, I don't do think, think he's like, Dan, Dan, no, again. What did Dan? The fourth and one when they got it. Oh, it was, it was so important that they got it because there were going to be a lot of Ben Johnson dialogue after they passed the it. The field position, inter- Dan. Think about it. I can tell you who probably is more concerned with it, and it's probably Aaron Glenn. I do think if there was a defensive version of Dan Campbell, who's a former player and, you know, hyper macho and therefore comes at this fourth down more from like, you know, we're going to impose our will than the analytics say we should go for it here. Push up my glasses. <laughs> Like, I do think that person could be very good at fourth downs. I I agree with all your logic. You just points. made up a person, though. <laughs> but I can make up any person. The stats backed me up. We did it, Joe. You said it yourself. Hang I don't think Dan Campbell is aggressive on fourth downs because he's an offensive coach. I'll put it that way. Mission uh, accomplished. I mean, the other point that Mike Dugar brought up in response to Ben Baldwin saying on on Twitter that, you know, you would exclusively be looking at offensive coaches for head coaches is that like this increases the bias in an already biased process because traditionally black coaches have been much more likely to have a defensive coaching background than an offensive coaching background. And to me, that's where it makes it very important to encourage diversity among offensive co- coaches. Yes. But you can't make that decision. You can't make your head coaching decision, which is only a sample of one based on that. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think the the league has gotten better with regards to diversity. And it is good that like you look at these the interviews that John Schneider did and they interviewed three black coaches, right? Yes. For these in person interviews. It and, wasn't a just like Pete Carroll for show interviews, right? 
Yes. And so to qualify, to be clear, to to satisfy the updated Rooney rule, those have to be in-person interviews, which these second interviews can be rather than just the virtual interviews that were the first round through last week. But the bigger issue here, as always, is down through the ranks where it's yes. like the racism that happens is like, OK, we're comfortable with you being a defensive coach as the black coach or whatever, but not offense. And that's where the, the work has to be done in developing young black coaches into being offensive coaches. The other thing worth noting here is the Seahawks have not requested an interview with uh, Mike McDonald, the Ravens defensive coordinator and a hot coaching candidate whose defense continues to excel. I have no possible explanation for why they have not done that. That, that to me, Dude, if you're going to quibble you right with the process now, of the search. That to me is the number one complaint. They, but they haven't scheduled a second interview with Bobby Slowick. They haven't scheduled an interview with Dave Canales. Like they're fucking this up right now. You can see it happening in real time. I don't know why you're telling me we need to wait. Like, are they going to come from left field and be like, oh, somebody we didn't even talk to, they're going to hire? This is Ben Johnson or nothing. In the case of Mike Vrabel, I think that is a real possibility. It's it's probably going to be Dan fucking Quinn. Like, just deal with it. Deal with it mentally right now. And then when it's not Dan Quinn, you could feel better. It's probably going to be Dan Quinn, and it'll probably be Chip Kelly as offensive coordinator. I agree that we should expect that and keep our expectations low. But that's not the same as being upset about John Schneider preemptively for a decision that he hasn't made. Dan Quinn and Chip Kelly is the fucking coaching staff. Just hire Pete Carroll. We just straight up, this is like Mike Hopkins again. I just don't know how John Well, hopefully they won't at least extend. Hopefully it won't be that long of a contract. (laughs) It'll be like 20th in DVOA and make the playoffs. And you know, give them an do you extension. know how many coaches the Milwaukee Bucks are paying right now as soon as they <laughs> hire a full-time head coach? Like, it can't be done. You know, they don't have to worry pay? about... Well, they'll be on three because Bud's got time left on his contract and now Adrian Griffin has three and a half years and now they're going <laughs> to have that gutch on top. They're trying to win. That's, you know, the, the you Seahawks at least don't, don't worry have to, about having to uh, reservice the debt at Lumen Field, so maybe they can fake it. Yeah, that's a good thing. Great. <laughs> Look, I'm going to find the positive here, whether you want to not. Funneling taxpayer money episode. to Seahawks. <laughs> to Seahawks not having to pay debt to coaches. My most content moment is when we're done with this podcast. <gasps> really? This individual podcast, not the podcast as a whole. <laughs> that's how we announce it's gone for <laughs> our 400th and final podcast. When you're done with this podcast, you, I'm just telling you, it's because you admit that I was right. That's why you're upset. I'm just trying to go to bed. It's late. I hung the banner. Wouldn't it be great if I had an actual banner? <laughs> no, I was right. It's just going to say uh, I was right. No, a mission accomplished. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's fair. It, it also fits the mission accomplished because nothing's happened. <laughs> very fair. Nothing's happened yet, but I, I am right about how to approach this. Same, same way that Ben on Twitter was. Hire an I mean, offensive coach, hire a first-time coach, done, period. It's not like I disagree that much. I mean, I don't know that it necessarily has to be a first-time coach. I just don't think there's that interesting offensive coaches who are not Offensive coaches, coaches don't get fired that much. That's why they're all the defensive coaches. I mean... All of the coaches who are, who are retreads or whatever are defensive coaches. Frank Wright gets fired. Mike Frank Wright gets fired all the time. <laughs> You know, I really believed in Frank Reich after watching Hard Knocks in season. Yeah, when he was praying his way through COVID or something. Um, he, was, he was vaccinated, okay? Was he? <laughs> it was many players he acquired that were not. 
<laughs> he was just begrudgingly vaccinated. I don't think he was begrudging. He he seemed sincere. I know in that his message. He, he, and uh... his and his high degree of frustration with Carson Wentz. Didn't he and Carson Wentz really like get close to each other through their mutual faith? They did, but that was before there was any any uh, vaccination, you know, <laughs> uh, differences in how it was handled by the NFL. <laughs> so that would be too much to ask for for a head coach. Well, to not connect with the quarterback through their mutual faith—that's that's a step bridge too far to even think about. All we want is somebody who has an offensive scheme, please, and maybe not Chip Kelly. <laughs> Just you know what? I am prepared to defend Jeff Kelly's offense on this podcast. <laughs> As the king of unpopular opinions. I am How is UCLA's offense? Is it any good? That, no, I don't think it's that great. <laughs> he also just is a legendary organ coach, Chip Kelly. Like I I don't care about that. I can give a fuck about that. If, if it's good for, if the Seahawks hire Dan Lanning, I'll be thrilled. Will I don't you? know if I will be thrilled, but be, <laughs> I'd be okay with it. It would be, uh, you know what, if they were going to make a left field hire and it was Dan Lanning, because <laughs> it also takes Dan Lanning away from Morgan. And more people in the transfer portal. Wow, this might be, let's get some momentum for this one. <laughs> Dan Lanning rejected Alabama, but like, I mean, Chip Kelly also, also provides that benefit. Yeah, clear. but this would be good players in the transfer portal. Let's <laughs> it's good players. Probably. No, wow. Let's, let's, let's wrap get, this up. Let's get Dan Lanning. That's the only defensive coach I'm okay with. I mean, I will. I will accept that Mike McDonald is probably, at the very least, an interesting candidate. If I'm I gotta interview him, I just, that's that's baffling. Like them not interviewing Dave Canales. I told you this offline. Like, look, they, they know Dave Canales, but they know whether they think he's good enough to be their head coach or not. What is Mike McDonald's background? Uh, he was the Michigan defensive coordinator before Baltimore hired him. <laughs> that's he so went from funny. One Harbaugh, he went from Harbaugh to Harbaugh. Next, attended the University of Georgia. Scott, he's got kind of a landing background. I'm not going to lie. Hmm. All right. I mean, I if they were going to hire a defensive coach, hiring somebody who's 37 years old, 36 years old, and who has some pretty proven success at many places, I think is probably the best possible approach to it. And, and that's why John Schneider is going to hire Dan Quinn. And works under a terrible. coach who, until this year, has been very aggressive on fourth downs. Has John Harbaugh been bad this year at that? Oh, extremely bad. What's going on? It's because their defense is so good. Yes. That is probably part. He's he's just like, but th- that's the one scenario where it's like. It's by far the lowest percentage of fourth downs they should go for that they have go- ever gone for in this sample. I'm not saying that you should ever not go for fourth downs, but when you have a defense as good as the Ravens, like you kind of can't begrudge John John Harbaugh for almost anything at this point because they're also they're usually one of the best winning. teams in NFL history. They're usually winning by like four touchdowns. Yeah, it's just like, well, I mean, it would be better. <laughs> You'll win either way, but it would be better. All right. <sighs> well, on that note, we'll see what new we have on the Seahawks coaching search next week. Which players have chosen to remain at UW or transferred to UW? <laughs> That's the update. Or transferred from UW. And whether UW basketball seasons are, you know, still uh, alive for the NCAA tournament or not. Great. I'm just not having fun. This will not be the high point of Tristan's contentment. (laughs) Thanks for listening to episode 400 of the Fabulous Felton cast. Woo! John Schneider retire, bitch. I guess.